Praise the Lord. It is Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we are celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead. How many of you know if he didn't rise from the dead, we would have no reason to be here? All right, we would have nothing to celebrate. And uh, as we talk about resurrection, how many of you know we serve a God that is good at resurrecting? He knows how to bring dead things to life. And uh, like actual physical, I started thinking about this. In the Old Testament, there are several uh, people that got rose from the dead. In the New Testament, several. So I just wanted to cover some of them real quick. Uh, out of 1 Kings 17, Elijah raised the uh, widow of Zarephath. And if you don't know the story, he came. Uh, they didn't ha- she said, make some bread or oil f- or bread for me. And she goes, I only got a little bit of oil left. And he's like, go gather all the vessels, fill it up. But later on... Her son died, and Elijah, the prophet, raised him uh, from the dead. Uh, You fast forward to 2 King, Elisha, the prophet that came after them, raised the uh, woman of Shunem, her son. So there were two sons that were raised from the dead. And then you bounce ahead a few chapters, and Elisha had already passed away, put him in the tomb, and there was a guy that died, and they basically threw him. Now, that wasn't a very respectful funeral, was it? Right, let me just toss his carcass in there. They tossed him into the tomb. He, he hits the bones of Elisha and like life comes back into him. That's a pretty crazy story right there. Like, Can you imagine if you were the one, like, uh, you know, you died and all of a sudden you wake up and there's a skeleton there? And that was what brought you to life? Like, wow. So that's Old Testament. New Testament, we see a number of others. Uh, Jesus raid a, uh, raised a widow's son. They were actually in a funeral procession that was going on. They were carrying the casket with, uh, with her son. She's weeping, and Jesus stops the funeral, and this son raises to life. Now, anybody ever been to a funeral like that? No. That's crazy, right? That, like, some people had to be a little scared. I just got to be honest, right? Some people are like, whoa, what happened here? Later on, we see Jesus raise Jairus' daughter, and everybody, she was in the, everybody knew he, she was dead. He pushed everybody out of there, and she came back alive. We talked about this last week. If you missed it, you can always go back. But Jesus raised Lazarus. He was dead for four days, came out of the tomb, uh, jumped forward to Acts chapter 9. Uh, Peter raised Tabitha, and her uh, Hebrew name was Dorcas. That's why she probably goes by Tabitha now. How many of you know that's not a friendly-sounding name now? But anyway, raised her from the dead. Uh, Paul actually raised Eutychus. Uh, he, it's his fault that he, she, this guy died. You guys realize that. He preached so long through the night that the guy fell asleep, fell several stories to his death. So I made a promise to the first service that I'm going to make to you guys. If I preach so long that you fall over and die, I'm going to come and pray that God will raise you from the dead, okay? I'm not going to go that long, all right? So uh, two things about all these people. Someone else was uh, used as a means to the miracle. Elijah, uh, Elisha, Jesus, Peter, Paul. But one thing that all of these people have in common is that all of them eventually died again, all right? They didn't get raised to life, and they're still with us today. But here's the thing. Before we talk about resurrection, how many of you know we've got to deal with death? All right, you, you can't have a resurrection if there's not a death involved. So this message that we're talking about today is how death is defeated. 
Because that's the victory right there. And, and we need to understand the Bible. I know some people, oh man, the Bible, it's so much. I don't know how. You, uh, it really begins with the origin all the way in Genesis, the origins of death. And if you read it through, it, it just builds on itself. And once you get to Revelation, it ends with death being defeated. Yeah. Right? That's the, that's the big story there. And obviously, Jesus, God was in the, in the work. So I want to cover a few questions today. Uh, this Easter morning. Number one, where did death come from? What was, what was its origins? Because uh, God did not, his original plan was for man to live forever. Death was never a part of his plan. Uh, when you see that God created man in Genesis 2, it says the Lord God formed the man from the dust on the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. See, when the breath of God comes, it was not a temporary. It was meant to last. And that's what uh, the original intention is that man would live. But we all know, those of you that, that uh, went to preschool, Sunday school class, you heard the story of Adam and Eve, and in the garden, God had two particular trees. Who knows what they were? The tree of... Life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So uh, this is not just a story, oh, yeah, he had that. There's a principle behind this that we need to learn. So in the middle of the garden, uh, he placed, talking about God, placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the breath of life that we just read that God spoke or breathed into man's nostrils and the tree of life, both of those words, life, are the same Hebrew word, and, and it's meant for uh, us to live. That was God's plan. That's why he put that tree in the garden. The first tree, this tree of knowledge of good and evil, that tree was a test. You know, you're going to tell uh, uh, Adam and Eve you had one thing to avoid. <laughs> that was it. How many of you know we have like millions of things that tempt us? They just had one thing, but they all, God also put the tree of life, and that was for eternal life. That's what the tree of life did. Uh, and God had this plan for us to live forever initially, but because they chose to eat of the knowledge of good and evil, God had to cast them out of the garden. Like, why? Why, why is that such a bad thing? Why is, uh, uh, is that such an evil uh, thing for us to live forever? But with knowing good and evil, there's nothing wrong with knowing good, right? But the fact that we understand good and evil, that's where sin comes into our life. I mean, if you think about the Apostle Paul, he said this. He goes, I wouldn't have even known what coveting was unless the Bible said, do not covet. Our knowledge of sin, our knowledge of good and evil, I know it may seem strange, but that's what causes us to begin to walk down those roads. As that door opens, as you have this, uh, this opportunity to sin, we have this curiosity about us. It was like, oh, well, let's check this out, right? Oh, man, let's go check this out. And so there was that tree there of the knowledge of good and evil. They got tempted. They fell into the temptation. They ate it, and now they caused death to reign over all men. That's what the Scripture says. We're going we're gonna to cover that. So sin, let me just back up. Sin is simply, it's an archery term, and it means just simply missing the mark. Like anything other than bullseye, that's what that word sin means. But sometimes we just, we like to classify sin like, oh, I only did a little, well, a little white lie, right? 
Haven't, how many of you have heard that before? And it's like, how many of you know it doesn't matter what color you color the lie, a lie is a lie. Right? Sin can be small, and a lot of times we think it's small, I'm just slightly off of God's plan, not really that big of a deal. But the reality about sin is that it grows. It never stays the same. It's like, you may miss it just a little bit, the next time you're going to miss it a little more. Next time you're going to miss it a little more. The next time you're not even in the ballpark. That's kind of how it works. And I want to give you uh, an example of what that looks like out of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, the Lord God says, look at the human beings having become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the tree of life and eat it? They will live forever. So he's saying, listen, they're going to live forever. And that's an issue. There's an issue with uh, living forever when you have that knowledge. So let me, now let me cover Ephesians with you. And this is the process of how sin works in our life. And Paul's saying, so I tell you this and insist on it. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. It starts out here, the futility of their thinking. He goes, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And I want to stop and think about it. First thing that sin happens is our thinking. He says the futility of your thinking. How many of you know that's really where all sin starts? We start thinking wrong. We start thinking, oh, this fruit's not that bad. I can eat of that, or I can do this, or I can do that. That's not that big of a deal. So it it starts in our mind, and once we start thinking the wrong way, this can happen in so many aspects, and it says they are darkened in their understanding. The minute you start thinking the wrong way, you start understanding things from a different perspective. And it's like, oh, I, I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. That's why a lot of people can't understand why, why is this such a big deal. It's because their mind has been darkened. They can't see the truth. And once that happens, once our thinking and our understanding gets wrong, we become separated from the life. Remember the tree of life? God breathing life? We separate ourselves by our thinking and by our understanding from God And then it says, because of the ignorance that is in them, our ignorance has been dark. I mean, our knowledge has been darkened by our sin. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them, their hearts become hardened. And our hearts become hardened because we're thinking wrong, because we're beginning to go down the wrong path. And then verse 19, he says this, having lost all sensitivity. You see, once your heart gets hard, Once your thinking is wrong, we are no longer sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We no longer have that conviction when God wants to say, listen, don't go down that path. There's going to be danger there. You don't even hear that anymore. Our ears are plugged up. It says they have given themselves over to sensuality so to indulge in every kind of impurity. Do we see that in our world today? I'm like, let's do this, let's do that. There's no boundaries. It's because humanity has lost any kind of sensitivity to God. And guess what? It's been snowballing. Have you noticed that over the last 20, 30 years? Things are snowballing. This is scriptural. It says with a continual lust for more. Like what sin was back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it's like, oh, no, that's not enough. We got to keep going more. We got to keep pressing more. We got that is the path that we are on, that continual lust for more. It is a sin is a snowball effect in our life. Like if you think about adultery, uh, how many of you know nobody commits adultery on day one? 
It starts out with a thought, oh, that girl's pretty, right? Oh, she's friendly. Oh, let me just strike up a conversation because my understanding is getting dark and I'm just having an innocent conversation, right? Just a, we're just exchanging. Uh, 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 we're, I'm, just, I'm caring for her. I'm showing her the love of the Lord, right? That's what happens. Right? And, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, adultery happens, right? Same thing is true with killing people. Nobody just up and kills people. No, there's, it starts out with a thought, man, that guy did this to me. And that person did that. And they're doing, you know, and we have these thoughts that roll around in our head. Our understanding gets darkened and all of a sudden it leads to, to killing. Think about Cain in the Old Testament. You know, he didn't just start out with jealousy towards his brother uh, and want to kill him. It started back when he started, he didn't get his offering accepted. He started thinking, well, I'm not going to give God the first fruits. I'll just give him some of my offering. And the Bible says that God didn't accept his offering and so jealousy started in his mind and in his heart and eventually led to him killing his brother. What about being a thief? Uh, that starts from just having a desire for something. And uh, I'm, I'm sure my parents are watching it. They know when I was like five years old, I was a thief. So uh, I, I, would, I went to, and this is, we blame it on my grandfather because they owned a store and he would let me get whatever I wanted. Uh, so I would go down when we were back home to the store, there was a piece of candy I wanted. It was that desire. I thought, hey, in my mind, I can just take this. And I took it, and, and I, got, I didn't get the police called on me, thank God. Uh, but, you know, come arrest this hardened five-year-old criminal here. Uh, but it's like you start thinking these things in your mind. And here, I don't know who came up with this phrase, but it's a fill-in in your notes. And I believe that it's true. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. How many of you have seen that true in your life? It, it's just the reality. It's like, you know what? I just thought it was a no, no big deal, uh, but sin will take you way more than you thought. Oh, it's just a little thing. It's going to uh, keep you longer and definitely cost you more. So because of this, because of sin, God couldn't allow us having that knowledge of good and evil to live forever. Because think about it. I've got some extreme examples here. But, but I hope that you follow with me. Imagine if this guy lived forever. Yeah, Hitler. I mean, responsible for killing over 50 million people. If he never died and he continued to live, that's what happens, the, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. It just begins, it keeps snowballing. What about this guy? Joseph Stalin, responsible for over 20 million deaths. And uh, this is a quote from him. This is how dark his understanding became. He says, one death is a tragedy, but a million deaths is simply a statistic. Wow, that's a darkened understanding. What about this guy? Killed over two million of his own people. Saddam Hussein. I think we're all quite familiar with this guy. Osama bin Laden, the mastermind behind the whole Twin Towers thing. 9-11. Uh, what about this guy who's currently causing a lot of deaths in our world, especially in Ukraine, right? And it just continues on. And, and it gets worse when, if they, if, you know, there's going to be a time when he's no longer around. And there's, that's a good thing. Not that we wish death on anybody, but when evil is perpetuated and we never stop it and that snowball keeps getting bigger, look what happens when it gets passed down from generation to generation, Right? 
back in 19, I don't know, 50-something with the Korean War, uh, uh, Mr. Grandfather Kim, I'm probably going to say his name wrong, Kim Il-sung, uh, he died in 94. Guess what? His son took over, just at, and probably even more brutal, and uh, when he passed away in 2011, his son has taken over. North Korea is in a perpetual cycle of, of just horrific leadership where a lot of people are dying. And so there, here's the thing. These are obvious extremes, but we understand why God could not allow the human race with our knowledge of good and evil to live forever. There's a reason God had to put them out of the garden. There had to be a consequence for sin. And we know according to Scripture, death is the result of sin. It says this in Romans 5.12, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everybody for what? Everybody has sinned. We know in Romans 6.23 that it says the wages, our payment for sin is death. That's what we get. That's the penalty right there. Uh, we all deserve it, all of us. Right? Every person that has walked this earth with the exception of Jesus has deserved that. And, and why am I covering that? Because until we understand what we deserve, until we understand what our wages are, we'll never understand how good the good news really is. Amen? Amen? Does that make sense? You'll never understand it because some people are like, oh, well, I'm good enough. I'm not really that bad of a person. Right? I don't think there's very many. I mean, other than like people that are on that list that I showed you, most people, I think, have a fairly good uh, desire to want to be good, just live their life. But the reality, the root of all of us is evil. Right? We, have, we have sin in our life, and we'll never understand this good news until we understand what we deserve. Let me put it this way. Until you realize that you're on the wrong road, how many of you know you're not getting off that road? Right, if I, oh man, I'm on the right road. I'm doing good. I'm going in the right direction. I'm, let me just say this. Men, we're worse at that than women, aren't we? Right, don't tell me which way to go. I know where I'm going. Uh, and let me just say, early in our marriage, I would never ask for a, a directions. Right, I, I mean, I, as a kid, even at five, six, seven years old, I've always had a great sense of direction. Who, who else has a good sense? Like I can always, I could, I could go out on my bicycle ride all around in our town, and I always knew how to get back. And so I kind of prided myself, don't tell me where to go, I already know where to go. Well, now we live in the age where GPS is available all the time, and, and it's easy, right? How many of you like GPS? It's awfully handy, right? But let me just say, there is something about me, I want to know the way. Without GPS, I don't really like to rely on it. Isn't that, does anybody else like that? I don't like to rely on it. And when we moved up from, uh, uh, we lived in Chico, when we moved into this area, going to Folsom, going to Roseville, Orangeville, Ranchoville, all those other villes that are around here, <laughs> everything was new. All these streets were new. I didn't recognize the names. And, and so we had to use the GPS. And I, oh, I hated that. I'm like, okay, give me the GPS. Colleen's like, you want me to use, give directions? Yeah, get the directions. I have no idea. So we've been up here a few years now, and, and I still don't want to depend on it. So we're going somewhere, and she's like, do you need directions? And I'm like, no, I'm 98% sure I know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> That's 98%. It seems like that 2% that I was not sure seems to pop up a lot more. Then 2%, I'll get somewhere and I'm like, all right, give me the directions. 
because I don't know where we're at, right? So that happens. And here's the, here's the point and that, that question, what I'm saying, uh, do you know what road you're on? Or are you just trying to figure it out yourself? Right? Or, or, I don't need the GPS. No, I don't need God's Word. No, I don't need church. I don't need all that stuff. I'm just going to figure this out myself. I'm just going to go this path. Uh, here's the problem with that. Proverbs 14, oops, there we go. Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there are ways, some translations say a path, that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to what? Death, Death right? What, what are we talking about here? I mean, this word, uh, way or path, it has a couple of different uh, definitions. One of them does mean getting from one place to the other. But the other definition, this is the Hebrew word, uh, Derek. It means uh, conduct or a way of life or what is done. So there's a way that seems right. There's a conduct, a behavior in a particular way, or in the matter one conducts one's life, including habits, as a figurative extension of thoroughfare. Anyway, that's the, that's the definition of it right there. So if I plug that definition into that verse, then it says this, there is a conduct or a way of life or a behavior that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Don't tell me what to do, right? Don't raise your hand if you've said that. I got it figured out. Turn the GPS off. I don't need any direction. I've got to, you know, I'm, you know, and a lot of times people say this, I'm just trying to do the best I can. Right? Or I'm living life as it comes at me. How many of you know that's not a good plan? That's not a good plan. If you are on a road, say, that's crossing a bridge that is out going over a gorge, how many of you know that attitude is not a good attitude? Don't tell me that sign says the bridge is out. Don't tell me those barricades are there for a reason. I know where I'm going, and I'm just going to do the thing. I can't just haphazardly keep going down a path I'm on without understanding and knowing the path that I'm on. Does that make sense? I've got to know where I'm going. I've got to be on the right path. Why? Because all other paths end in death. All other paths go the wrong way. That is the end of the road for every one of us who sin. So big sin, little sin, it really doesn't matter the size, it doesn't matter the color, it's all the same. So the answer to the question I gave earlier, where did death come from? It came from sin, right? The wages of it is death. So uh, next question, this one's really easy. I'm not going to spend as much time. Can I escape death? <laughs> exactly. See, you guys already know it. No. Now that sin has come into the world and we live in a fallen world, we understand that. Uh, we all, here's the thing. We all have the knowledge of good and evil, do we not? All right. You can't backtrack on that. It's like, no, no, God, just erase that from my mind. I know sometimes your kids, you know, when they're little, they act like they don't know right from wrong. But how many of you know they know right from wrong? Right? They know the knowledge. They have that knowledge. So because of that, Hebrews 9, so there's the answer, no. Uh, just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, all of us are going to die. That was not God's original plan. Remember that, right? But because humanity is now awake to that knowledge of good and evil, all of us one day are going to face death, right? We're all terminal with this thing called life, right? When you're like, oh, man, you know what? This uh, disease is terminal. Life is terminal. Am I right? Everybody has it. All of us are going to face death someday. There is no fountain of youth. 
Am I right? There is no, ooh, I'm an immortal, you know. There's all kinds of shows or superhero. I'm immortal. There's no such thing as that. It doesn't matter how stretched you make your face. (laughs) How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me get a Botox here, you know, and let me get that, and let me get rid. Listen, whether your face is stretched or wrinkled, how many of you know you're still the same age? Right? And you can die stretched or wrinkled either way. It doesn't matter. It's not like death is like, wow, you know what? I was coming for them, but they look so young. <laughs> a little contorted looking, but hey, they look so young, right? Uh, nobody looks good like that. Anyway, let's move on. So uh, we cannot avoid the first death. We can't avoid that. But the Bible does talk about a second death that we can avoid, and it's called the second death. And you're like, maybe you've heard of this. I don't know. Maybe you're here, and you're like, wait a minute. What is second death? Uh, Revelations talks about it. I want to give you a few scriptures. It says, uh, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the church. Whoever is, can we say this? Right? So we want to be victorious. It says, we'll never be harmed by the second death. So I want to be victorious. What does that mean? Does that mean I win a gold medal? No. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, If you jump to Revelations 26... It says, blessing, holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Again, I want to talk about what is first. If there's a first, how many of you know there's got to be a second, right? So we'll talk about that in a second. But it says, whoever shares in the first resurrection, for them, the second death holds no power. So if you're not a part of the first resurrection, then the second death has a power over you. uh, and, And there's a way to avoid it. So what is the second death? The scripture says what it is. He goes, and I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. So there's a throne. It's a judgment. This is called the judgment seat, uh, the great, great white throne of judgment. And it says, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books, is this singular or plural? It's plural, right? We're going to talk about that. Were opened, including... The book of life. So there's the book of life, and then there's all these other books that are up there. A whole bunch of other books. And it says, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. So let me just, I don't have time to really get too deep into this because that's not the whole point of the message. But we saw that there was a first resurrection. That first resurrection, it happens to those that have accepted Christ, and they go and stand not before this great white throne of judgment. They go before what's called the judgment seat of Christ, where you get all your works judged. Listen, everyone gets into heaven if you're in that. If you're part of that first resurrection, you're going to make it to heaven. But the reason that there are books, plural, recorded here is that those that, well, first of all, those that have uh, that escape this judgment, then there is a book in heaven that's got your name. Actually, until you accept Jesus, there is a book in heaven that's got your name on it. All right? And, and anybody ever want to be an author if you've not been? Man, I'd like to write a book. Let me just say, if you haven't accepted Jesus, you've written a book. All right? Their book is your life, and it's got everything recorded in it. All your sins, all your failures, all of that stuff is in there. And so those books get open there. That's everybody that misses that first resurrection. The second resurrection are those that have not accepted Christ. And God begins, he says, oh, well, their name is not in the book of life. Let me find their book. They pull the file cabinet. There it is. And that's what's going to stand in judgment against us. 
right? God does not send anybody to hell. How many of you know we send ourselves there? All right? Oh, man, pastor, you're getting heavy here. Uh, the second resurrections are those who die without Christ. And look what he says. And I see gave up its dead. Death and the grave gave up their death. All who were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. Here's what the second death is. The lake of fire is the second death. That's the second death right there. And look what it says. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life. Remember, God is about life. The tree of life, breathing life into our nostrils, were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. And you're like, oh, Pastor Scott, great. You're one of those hellfire brimstone preachers. All right, you're, listen, I, I mean, whether you want to call me that or not, I don't like to use that as a scare tactic, but if we're going to understand resurrection, how many of you know we've got to understand death? We've got to understand what it really is and what it has, its hold that it has on humanity. Because without our name being written in the book of life, that's our destiny. I don't want that. I don't want that for anybody. So why would you not warn somebody that the bridge is out, that they're going down the wrong path, you know, it's like, oh, don't worry, God loves you, everything's going to be fine, as they're barreling towards that bridge that's out. That's not very loving, is it? So here's the thing, the book of life, I want to look at that because, like I said, life has always been God's plan. God has always wanted us to live. He breathed that life. He created the tree of life. And just as death began in the garden and was finally dealt with, God wants all of us to live in his life. The scripture says that he wants all to come to repentance and all to have that life. Through the whole Bible, God has always been about restoring life from death. God is a restorer of life. Can we escape the second death? Yes. Oh, there's my book of life. So you guys see the picture for a second before I move on. Okay. Yes, we can. We can escape it. Uh, here's the way how. We, we can do it. Number four. We have to choose life. Everybody say, I have to choose life. See, God chose you already. He chose me already. By going to the cross, it says that God so loved the world. He's not talking about the globe. He's talking about all the people. All the people that have ever lived, all the people that ever will. He went to that cross. He chose us. Jesus is life. How do we choose life? Listen, we've got to choose Jesus. He does not force himself onto any of us. It's like if you're drowning in a lake and somebody comes along and sticks their hand out and reaches for you to come in, how many of you know you've got to reach your hand back out too? There's a lot of people that can drown because they don't reach out. And Jesus is always reaching out for humanity to come in, to reach out, to grab a hold of, a, of him. And so we've got to choose Jesus. Let me give you a, a few scriptures here. These are, these are pretty common. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And it says through Him, talking about Jesus, all things were made. Think about that. At creation, all things were made with, through Jesus. Without him, without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. And in Jesus was life. Jesus is life, right? That life was the light of men. See, remember the tree of life back in the, in the, in the garden? I want to tell you, I don't know exactly how, but eternal life only comes through Jesus. 
So that tree of life, I believe, in one way or another represented Jesus. You had to partake of that. And the same thing is true for us. Today, we have a choice. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let me just keep going down my own path. Or I can choose Jesus. I can choose him. And, and, and look what it says right here. That life was the light of men. So he's connecting life and light. And it says the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Remember the sin that causes our understanding to be dark? That's what's happening right here. The light is shining. Jesus is shining. Why isn't everybody a Christian? Because so many of us are wrapped up in our darkness of our own sin. We can't even see the light. I can't even perceive that it's there. That's why so many have a hard time seeing it. They're so caught up in their own sin and going their own way. Like I'm just going my own way. I don't even see what's going on. Like I was not raised in church. I think most of you guys know that. And I remember going for the wrong reasons to church. You know, whether it was to go to an amusement park or date some girl or whatever. But it was kind of like Moses whenever the burning bush experience happened. If you're familiar with that story, Moses just kind of going on his path. And, the, and he sees a fire. He sees a bush that is burning and not being consumed. And the Bible says that he turned aside. He goes, I'm going to turn aside and go see this thing. Let me go over here and check this out. That's kind of like you and I going through life. We're just going down our road, doing our thing, going down our path, not knowing where it's going. And it's like all of a sudden there's a flicker of light over here. And you're like, wait, what is that? You know what? And you, you know, we have a choice. We can either keep going or we can say, wait a minute, I'm going to stop. What is going on over here? I remember the first several times I went to church. It's like, again, wrong reasons, but I'm going. And, and, and I saw this little flicker of light. I started seeing something, and I didn't know what it was until I finally turned and began to follow after whatever that light was. And Jesus began to open my understanding. How many of you remember, if, like I said, if you weren't raised in church, or even if you were, because there has to be come, a, come a time when all of a sudden the light comes on inside your head and you're like, oh, all this stuff makes sense now, right? I remember before I started serving the Lord, it was like I didn't understand it. And then afterward, it's like, man, I see everything so clearly now. Everything seems to make more sense. The world and the turmoil and all of the things and questions that, that people, why would God let this and this, that and all that stuff happen? It all makes sense once you have your understanding and the fog finally lifted off of your mind. I mean, this is what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians. It says, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded what? The minds, our thinking, right? Of those that don't believe. They are unable to see the light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of Christ. Like Adam and Eve, you know what? They chose that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they chose sin, and as a result, they chose death for everybody. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy, right? Romans 5, 17 says this, For the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. His sin, his disobedience, he missed the mark and chose death. And I just want to say this, because I would say I'm 100% sure Adam and Eve had no idea the cost of that one sin. They had no idea what that was going to do to their kids, their grandkids, their great, 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 however many it is from there. They had no idea the things that was going on. And I believe the same thing is true for us. We think, 
This is just one little thing. What is my sin going to affect anybody else? Who will know? Who else will it hurt? Even Here's the thing. Even if no one knows, even if you think no one's going to get hurt, how many of you know God does? Because what you're doing is taking that little bit of snow, and that snowball is going to start rolling down that hill. And the thing that you thought was going to hurt nobody at one time, all of a sudden is leaving a destruction in its way. It's just the reality. So here's the good news. It says, one man's sin brought death to all. Check it out. But even greater. Everybody say, even greater. greater. It's God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Right? We've got to receive it. We've got to accept it. We've got to reach back to him reaching to us. And it says, all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. It says that you will live in triumph. And then it says, yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everybody. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life. We can have right relationship with God. Isn't that good news? Like, like the book that, that has all of our sin, when Jesus came and died on the cross and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, that book comes out of that library and goes into the trash bin. Let me just say, it goes into the incinerator. God burns it up. It's like, like you'll stand there. There is no record of wrong against you. And you're like, oh, man, it's in my head. I know everything. Maybe you've got people in your life that know the things that you've done wrong. But guess what? God has cast that away. Amen. The only book that I'm concerned about, I want to be in that book of life. Right? I want to make I want to reach back. I want to receive him because that's what brings right relationship. Not you trying to do all the right things. Not, oh man, I better oh man, that's not the right thing. Oh, I better do the right thing. That's us trying to live the right life by our own ability. Remember, there's a way that seems right to a person. There are a lot of people that go to church that do not have a relationship with Jesus, but they're trying to do it by their own actions. That's what we call religious people. They're, oh, let me just do the right thing. Yeah, you know what? I don't cuss, I don't smoke, and I don't go with girls that do and all of that stuff, right? They think that their actions get them into heaven. No, it's a right relationship with God. It's a surrendering of your life to Him and saying, Lord, I want you. And the amazing thing is, once you do it, like I said, I just picture this librarian, oh, well, they accepted Christ, let me take this book out that has so-and-so's name on it, let's put it in the fire. Because the blood of Christ just covered everything that you've ever done. Amen? And we can stand before him with a right relationship. So, uh, uh, I've, I've asked Pastor Timothy and Stephanie, they're going to sing a song. I just want you to reflect on the words as, uh, as they sing this. And then we're going to have a time of prayer after. Hear the voice of love that's called. There's a chair that waits for me. And a friend who understands everything you're going through. But you keep standing at a distance In the shadow of your shame But there's a line of hope that shines 
Won't you come and take your place? Bring it all to the table. It's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sins, all your sorrows, and your sadness, there's a Savior and he calls. Bring it all to the table. He can see the way you carry the fears that hold your heart. But through the cross you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are. So bring it all to the table. It's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your trials, all your worries, and your burdens, there's a Savior and he calls. Bring it all to the table. Bring it all. Bring it all. Come on in, take your place. There's no one who's turned away. And all you said. All you saints, come right in and find your grace. Come on in, take your place. There's no one who is turned away. And all you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your place. Bring it all to the table. It's nothing he ain't seen before. And all your sin, all your sorrows, and your sadness, there's a Savior and he calls. Bring it all to the table. Bring it all. You can bring it all. Take your place, there's no one who's turned away. And all you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your place. Amen. Can I have everybody stand? I'm just going to ask you to do me this favor. I know some people don't do this, but... This is something between you and God. I'm just going to ask that you would close your eyes where you are and search your heart. Maybe you're here today and you've been going on your own path. You've been going on your own road. You've been trying to figure this thing called life out on your own. Maybe you feel like you've got some good ideas. Maybe you're a really good person, but you know you're not on his path. I want to tell you, this is the Lord saying, turn to me. 
This is the light flickering right over on the side. And he's saying, will you turn aside and come after me? Because it doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. How many of you know he accepts? That's why I love this song. It's like, come and find your place. There's nothing you've done that he hasn't already seen. Nobody will be turned away. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know if I've been on the right path, but today I want to make a conscious choice and decision, not just a, I hope I'm on the right path, but a conscious decision to say, I'm turning to him. If that's you, can I just have you raise your hand and you can put it down. Just kind of make eye contact with me. Amen. Amen. I see several hands. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Just make eye contact. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to ask everybody to say this prayer. Maybe you've said it before, but uh, if you've heard me very much, if it just comes out of your mouth, it's just words. But if it comes from your heart, how many of you know God hears it? So if that's you today, just repeat this after me. Can I have everybody actually repeat it? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sin on that cross. And I accept you today. I turn off of my path. And I follow after you. From this day forward, I want to follow after you. Lord, begin to open my mind. Open my understanding to the things that you have for me. I give you my life, Jesus. In your name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you said that and meant it, uh, there's an incinerator in uh, heaven that's going on right now. It's burning those old books. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you, if you did accept Christ, I want to encourage you, come and share that with somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. Make that a public thing because that's a good thing. The Bible says that there are angels in heaven. All of heaven rejoices when one person. Amen. Amen.